Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1450 entitled Now is the winter of discontent. <laughs> Our podcast title is Pod Mirror 6. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. Today we are going to discuss the much anticipated Black Mirror Season 6, which is on Netflix, mm-hmm. and also a book, a massive, weighty tome called The Living Dead, and that's by Daniel Krauss, but it's also by George A. Romero, posthumously. Mm. Oh, well, that's quite the feat. <laughs> Not really, he says far too flippantly when you think about <laughs> it. But, you know, actually it's so weighty. I'll just drop it on the desk. Listen to this. <laughs> it's a massive book. Zombie like, book ASMR. Yeah, like the heavy tread of a zombie. All right, so I think we'll start with a particular track. And the reason why I want to play this will become obvious if you're a fan of a particular series from a long way back, but not that long. So here we go. This is the theme from Bergerac. Uh, Hi, this is Jim Beaver. I play Bobby Singer on the TV series Supernatural, and you're listening to 3 Triple R FM Zero G, you idiots. The Bergerac theme composed by George Fenton, and that's actually from a single from the London Music Works, you know, a show that's aged enough so that you can get <laughs> <laughs> compilation albums and possibly even easy listening by now. Mm. It's a detective show back in the day starring John Nettles and so many episodes in that series. I can remember watching a couple of them, but I can't remember what it was about. Mm. I think it had, if memory serves me, and this is going a long way back, also had Louise Jamison, who used to play Leela in Doctor Who in it. Okay. I could be totally wrong there. A lot of these... <laughs> British detective shows sort of munged together in my mind, you know. But there's a reason why we played that. We're talking about Black Mirror Season 6 today. Mm -hmm. Take it away, Megan. Yeah, so this is a very much anticipated series, and we'll talk a little bit more about Season 6's reception. But we are indeed at Season 6 of Black Mirror, and it's had a bit of a journey across different networks and platforms. All of it is available now on Netflix. The sixth season has five episodes in it, and they vary in length. We do have a feature-length episode at Episode 3, which runs at about an hour and a half, and then we have an episode that's as short as 40 minutes, but most of them are around an hour. So it might be five episodes, but that's a lot of content. Oh, an hour and a half. That's quite substantial. Yes, and you'll see why. We'll chat a little bit about some of the individual episodes with no spoilers, of course, because that's a big thing here, but just so you get a bit of a premise of each 
Is there anything special in the presentation of these? Remember they did Bandersnatch? Ah, uh, yes. No, this is interactive. One. This is your straight up and down anthology format. But like I said, um, Brooker does play a bit with the lengths that he takes for each story and each one has a different concept, cast, setting and so on. So as you can imagine, pretty high production costs and it all looks pretty schmick. And we go through a variety of different tones and sort of genres as well. If you're not familiar with Black Mirror, then crawl out from under that rock. It is a British anthology series that is spearheaded by Charlie Brooker. It imagines different potential effects of technology and societal change on our world and how people might react in different good or bad ways, usually bad. (laughs) It's an anthology, so each episode covers a different outcome, something going too far or some effect that has been he has seen happening in our world that he wants to explore. So it's speculative sci-fi, and some of them do go pretty grim, pretty bleak. He's known for definitely some standout episodes and for tending towards more of the gloom and doom, let's say. Not to say there aren't high points in the seasons as well of more lighter content, but they do tend to be a little bit rarer because I guess exploring the darker side is the fun of dystopian TV. It does span a range of tones, especially uh, in this season. We go much more towards things like horror and so on, but there is romance, comedy, thriller all covered. We have episodes fully in black and white. We have episodes that mu- yeah, much more in similar to what our world is like, and we have some that are really far-flung ideas in quite far dystopian world or our version of our world. There was, of course, you mentioned the Choose Your Own Adventure Bandersnatch film, which came out in 2018, which was a really interesting piece of interactive content that's also available on Netflix. Brooker himself does write many of the episodes and collaborates consistently with executive producer Annabelle Jones. Now, these two came over from Channel 4. So originally, Black Mirror aired on Channel 4 the first two seasons, which came out in 2011 and 2013. So we have quite a few big gaps between drinks for this one. And as we've only got the six seasons, but of course they've come out over the course of, yeah, over 10 years. But after the first two seasons, of course, it proved a little too rich to make for network television. Because as I mentioned, each one has a different theme. It requires different production. It requires different casting. They've had a lot of big names pass through, names that include John Hamm, Anthony Mackie, Hayley Atwell, Jesse Plemons, Bryce Ellis Howard, Daniel Kalua. So loads of great people have come through the episodes here, but it does mean it gets a bit expensive. And so Netflix picked up and started making more seasons of it, starting with season three. So they've made three, four, five, and six. They vary in length as well. Season five was only three episodes. It's really just churning out as it wills on a cadence of its own choosing. So a lot of people are grateful for New Black Mirror whenever it does pop up. It's hardly churning, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's a slow (laughs) roll, really. (laughs) Slow roll towards doom. Previous seasons have, of course, given us classic episodes, and I'm going to pick out the ones that are my faves like San Junipero, USS Callister, Nosedive, Be Right Back, Hang the DJ. Lots of interesting ideas have come out of this series and some we've actually seen reflected in the real world as well. So that's your Black Mirror 101. I mean, I love this show. I think it's one of the finest shows that's come out in the last decade. What's your relationship with the show, Rob? Well, anthology shows can be you know, good, bad, and indifferent mm-hmm. because they stand or fall upon each particular episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've been quite impressed with Black Mirror overall. It's had some extremely chilling episodes. Ooh, yeah. And it does what science fiction, you know, it's on the tin really. 
since the days of Frankenstein. It's looking at a technology and examining the implications from all sides. Mm. Black Mirror does that so well. Sometimes the technologies under examination are not as obvious as others. Mm. I feel like the start on season six that I've seen, I've seen a couple of episodes. I did an episode title about now is the winter of discontent. Mm. And I feel that the episodes in season six, at least the ones I've seen, they're very much focusing upon content to start with. Yes. Yeah. We're going very meta here because of course, Netflix produces this show, but the show is very heavy on starting to examine how we interact with streaming content, who owns certain stories, our right to truth, our right to consume, that kind of thing. So it's getting very meta, snake eating its own tail style. And I do agree. We'll talk a little bit more in depth about season six in a minute, but it's been quite divisive. And I think a lot of the time Black Mirror has been known for episodes with a technological hook. Whereas in season six, we're thinking much more in a bigger societal picture, I feel. And I think you're right. It's not always as obvious the, oh, it's a headset that does this or, oh, the phones do this now. It's much more about our world and how it started to shift. And and then Brooke is examining that even further. Mm. So, and I think some people don't like when stuff changes, they feel an ownership. Yeah. And and that's what's so <laughs> funny because it's feeding right into some of the themes he's coming out with. Like the fact people get so up in arms about what they think Black Mirror should be and what they expect. You might like episodes or not, that's fine. But to say that it's not doing what it should be doing, I think just really sh- shines a light on exactly what Brooke is trying to say about our relationship with content. <laughs> uh, exactly. So exactly. let's have another track here. Now you've chosen two tracks. I wanted to start off with a track that I really like, but if you're a long time watcher of Black Mirror, you will recognize as popping up in multiple episodes. And there is a little mini drop of this track in the first episode of season six, Joan is Awful. So it's the song, anyone who knows what love is will understand. And it's by Irma Thomas. And let's take a listen to that to get us in the mood for some Black Mirror dissection of this latest season. This is Neil Gaiman. It's well past 2000 AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. That was Irma Thomas with Anyone Who Knows What Love Is Will Understand. And we played that because it pops up quite a bit throughout Black Mirror, which does seem to like to choose some nostalgic elements to include in its episodes, like you mentioned, the inclusion of Bergerac and things like that. And that track's a really nice one, but becomes haunting (laughs) once you pick up its associations with certain episodes. So we're here to talk about Black Mirror Season 6 out on Netflix now and Latest season has, you know, big names galore as well. So we we have been attracting some good names for these seasons, and this one is no different. We have Salma Hayek, Aaron Paul, great to see him as well of Breaking Bad fame, Ben Barnes, small role for him, Josh Hartnett, love to see him back on screen. He definitely was of my era of heartthrob, and I loved seeing him back acting. I mean, I say back acting. I think he did take a break. Got small role for Michael Sarah. We've got John Hanna popping up and yeah, many, many more. And you'll sort of have plenty of side characters too that you're like, oh, what's he doing? Aaron Paul, we heard his voice in the USS Callister episode in season four playing Gamer 691. Mm-mm. So, you know, he's been here before. <laughs> he has. He has. He's the only actor ever to appear twice. And, you know, at the first time was a bit of a, a little cameo. As I mentioned before, it has had a bit of mixed reviews and 
I think partially there's been a lot of high expectations. People love Black Mirror. They have it on a pedestal. They've been waiting. We didn't think we were going to get any more because Brooker had said, I'm done. And what's interesting, I think, going into note is he has changed and evolved the formula a little bit. We alluded to it before that he's sort of looking at different kinds of concepts. It's not always as obvious, the technological side. And he has come out and said, hey, it was never technology is bad. It was people are bad, (laughs) which I agree with. But people don't like when things change. From my understanding, it tends a little more towards horror this season. And it's something he deliberately wanted to do. So he had actually talked about maybe making a new show called Red Mirror, where he'd explore more of that kind of content, but ended up you know, doing this season six. Full disclaimer, I've not watched all the episodes. I've watched the first three. And I think the last episode is the one that a lot of people have divided thoughts on. So maybe let's just chat through each episode briefly. I'll just mention the premise because as an anthology, it is interesting to know kind of what's going to be covered, but we'll keep it spoiler free, very generic. And I will say too, and you found this watching the first two consecutively, you might be tempted to jump in and pick episodes out. But I do think watching the first two in a row, they'd complement each other nicely in the themes they're covering. So I think you'd be good to start from the beginning. Absolutely. Because there's a kind of a framing Mm. trope that they've got that is established in the first two episodes. And, you know, you don't want to miss out on that. So definitely watch those first two first. It's like an album. Don't, Don't just pick out the tracks that stand out. That is, get the whole experience. That is very true. You might be tempted to do, you know, the most played, most popular, but you want to go for that album list, track listing as the artist intended. So we've got episode one is called Joan is Awful. General premise is a woman finds that a streaming service called Streamberry has launched an adaptation (laughs) of her daily life where she is played by Salma Hayek. (laughs) So there's a lot more to it than that, but we'll kind of leave it there as your little one liner. And of course, this is streaming on Netflix. So it There's a very meta sort of element there, and I'm thinking, ooh, ah. (laughs) And it's in purpose. You know, the Streamberry little logo and the opening, it's all – the wink is big here. Episode two, we switch gears quite a bit. That first one, there's a bit of comedy there. It's sort of similar to the premise of Black Mirror episodes we've seen before where something incredulous happens to a character and it's just about them figuring it out. I loved it. I thought it was great, that one. I, I'm laughing all the way through it. Selma Hayek in that's great, as well as the, the actress playing Joan, too. She's all awesome in that, too. Yeah, Annie Murphy. It, it's complicated when you start Yeah, when you start thinking about who's playing what in that one. Yeah, absolutely. I, it starts to peel back onion layers a bit more as the episode goes on, and I appreciated what it was doing. There is some magic explaining away in the episode, but... I was happy to overlook that. Then we switch into episode two, which has got very different tone. It's called Lock Henry, and it's about two young filmmakers, a couple, and they travel back to his hometown in Scotland, and their plan is to make it, you know, a nature type of documentary more. But then they become embroiled in investigating and learning more about some of the town's dark past. So it's a little bit of a true crime, dark tourism look. And it's about their time in that small Scottish town. So that one, right off the bat, tone shift, location shift, much more pensive, very different themes, but some intercorrelation with the first episode about storytelling and people's stories and people being commodified, basically. That particular episode had an exceptional horror content in it, so I will warn you about that. And it's very sweary too. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. It, it, a lot of the action takes place around a, a Scottish pub. So, you know, be warned. Yes, yes. But, you know, alongside that, it's it's a full-on horror story. So yes. there's other things that might command your attention more in that. Yeah, this is Charlie Brooker examining, like, the rise in interest in true crime, true crime documentaries, dark tourism, as I mentioned before, and it's very tense. So go into that with eyes open, expecting a bit of grisly content. Grizzly? Grizzly content. <laughs> I know. I rather like grisly. <laughs> It's like a person, John P. Grisley. <laughs> I wouldn't want to have dinner with him. So now the next episode, Beyond the Sea. Now this is our feature-length episode. It's set in an alternative 1969 and it's about two astronauts and they're on a high-tech voyage, but it's also paired with events down on Earth as well. I don't want to go too much into it. That one was quite devastating. <laughs> Good question about anything that's set in the past, because hey, 1969, does he run into Indiana Jones? <laughs> uh, but no. my other question about that is, how's the recreation of 1969? Does it stand up? Yes, but it does itself a lot of favours by keeping it in some contained settings, if that makes sense. So we're not really going out into the world. And I also think the way it's set up, it's a very much a character piece. So there is some procedural around it that's important, but I've seen a bit of discourse online about, oh, but they would do this and surely this would happen and why would this happen? And and I get it. I totally get it. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on the episode, Rob, when you get to it. But for me, I think the character, the plotting and the emotions that came through in that story far outweighed me saying, oh, well, actually it would, it would go like this. And that's my personal thing. I really thought it was amazing. It's pretty much a movie. So it's, yeah, hour and a half. It's got a little bit of, we dabble in some Manson-esque stuff. We dabble in, it feels a little like moon. It feels a little, there's touches of like, don't worry, darling, if you've seen that film. And yeah, that one also has some horrific content too and is, is very grim. But I found it to be very exceptional. I thought it was quite well done and the premise, I think, subverted expectations in some ways and I appreciated that quite a bit. So that's Beyond the Sea, Episode 3, and that one's had a, quite a bit of chatter about it as well. Shall we play another track before we go into the last episodes of it? I think that's a good idea. And you've picked another one which is entirely appropriate. Yes. I don't like Mondays. <laughs> Why this track, Megan? So, I mean, look, we love Mondays because it's zero G day, but this track does appear in the last episode called Demon 79. And so let's go and listen to that one, I Don't Like Mondays by Boomtown Rats. This is Rob Sherman, and you're listening to Zero G. I Don't Like Mondays by the Boomtown Rats, and we played that because it appears in the last episode of Black Mirror Season 6. So we were just talking through a little bit about Black Mirror over the years and delving a bit into the latest episodes that have dropped on Netflix. Just another note about Beyond the Sea, which was Episode 3. Oh, I'm still thinking about it, honestly. I really loved it. I Yeah. And uh, Aaron Paul plays one of the astronauts in that one with Josh Hartnett being the second astronaut. And it also stars Kate Mara as well. And the oh. drama really sort of centers around those three. And I definitely thought it was it was extremely well acted. And I loved the story of it. Loved is a strong word. I was horrified and <laughs> and uh, oh, scarred by the story it, of it. <laughs> it's set in an alternate 1969. Don't tell me Aaron Paul plays Major Tom <laughs> and... <laughs> 
He does a really fantastic job in this one too, I think. He's a bit underrated. Oh, no, maybe he's adequately rated. People do love him from Breaking Bad. Let's move on to look at episode four. So this one's called Maisie Day. This one I haven't seen, so as a full disclaimer, it's about a troubled actress dogged by invasive paparazzi while dealing with the consequences of a hit and run incident. So that doesn't give you very much. And that's a shorter episode of 40 minutes. And I haven't seen too much chatter about that one. So I think it's either just average or does nothing controversial that people like to take issue with. So I'll be intrigued by that. But it wasn't one of the ones that stood out to me either in in concept. But uh, and the last episode is the one that I think has divided fans quite a bit. It's called Demon 79, and it's set in uh, England in 1979. And it's about a sales assistant who is told she must commit terrible acts to prevent disaster. And that one, I think, yeah. goes quite gory and uh, leans very much into m- more of a, a horror kind of energy. So... Yeah, it's got a definite range of topics that it's covering, definitely different themes, tones, genre. I think overall this season seems to be much more about big concepts rather than, as I mentioned before, the technological hook. I think having just watched a couple, you know, each of us have only seen a few, how are you feeling about the latest season? Well, I'm on board. Those first two episodes gave me an unexpected range of of Mm. comedy. Mm -hmm through to full on what I feel like is, you know, new wave of British horror. And that was fine by me. I thought, yeah, okay. I was discomforted by the second episode and that's exactly where I wanted to be with Black Mirror. Yeah, agree. And I mean, wait till you, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on three as well, because I think there's some themes and there's some parts of the story and the technology there that I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on. So, Well, we can obviously reconvene after we've watched the whole series and just do a quick overview. Yeah, I think so. But for me, I'm in. I think the episodes have delivered to me thought-provoking quality content. It's made me think. I'm still thinking about some of the episodes. I like the diversity so far. I thought Joni's Awful was quite funny and engaging. I very much enjoyed it. And for me, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief and, you know, accept the implausibility elements. And I think some people have more trouble with that, but I definitely am on board. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm definitely not signing up for Streamberry. (laughs) Too late. (laughs) But Netflix, yeah, and that's where you can find this series. Exactly. Yep. Black Mirror Season 6. All right. So I thought that we'd play a track here relating to, obviously, Black Mirror, and I'm thinking our Bowie of the Week, which in spite of my tenuous link to uh, (laughs) Space Odyssey, I'm not pursuing. There's an episode of the fifth season of Black Mirror called Smithereens, and the score is composed by Ryuchi Sakamoto, who, of course, was the legendary electro-pop pioneer. Not only did he compose the score for Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, with David Bowie being in the movie, Mm -hmm. although he didn't actually consult with Bowie about the music because he figured he was too busy doing acting. (laughs) He always uh, kicked himself for um, (laughs) not doing that. Sakamoto passed away in 2023, Mm -hmm. leaving a massive legacy of film scores, you know, Last Emperor, yep. for example, uh, all sorts of other ones. Um, and this, the Black Mirror Smithereen soundtrack he did as well. Mm-hmm. Of course, very much into synth and sequences and all sorts of techno sort of pop style instrumentation. And I think we just might go for our Bowie connection of the week with Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, the main title theme from that by Rachi Sakamoto. This is Annie Lee, and I'm Morn Kransky. 
of the Kransky sisters, and you're listening to Zero G on 3RRR FM. Lock up your meat safe and beware of the machine with the claw. Yeah, join in in the polite applause for the title theme. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Uh, Raichi Sakamoto, composer from the soundtrack album. So David Bowie connection of the week there. He also did the soundtrack for the f- second episode of the fifth season of Black Mirror, mm-hmm. which is why we played it. Extreme danger. This is a Class 1 biohazard alert. The Starship Zero-G is a plague vessel. All crew have been infected with a necro-reversal virus. Do not approach. Stand off. Beware the spacewalking dead. Now, moving along to a book, and what a book it is. Well, (laughs) it's by George A. Ribeiro and Daniel Krauss. It's called The Living Dead. Uh, Yes, it is a zombie book. It is 772 pages long. Quite the tome. And it's a penguin book. It is a solid book. And, well, this is the Lord of the Rings of Ah. that genre. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, so... It's a 2020 release and is probably one of the largest standalone singleton zombie novels that I've had shamble my way. There may be other ones there. I haven't had a look in my collection lately. I'm too afraid to (laughs) (laughs) touch it in case I get infected. This one lives up to the hype. It's got a little bit of a complex genesis. Well, maybe not all that much, he says, thinking about it. (laughs) I can encapsulate it really in the comment that George Romero, before he died, had notes on a novel which would tie together lots of the concepts that he'd been developing in his Living Dead franchise movies and other works as well. So some of the notes from that attempt have been discovered and treatments and outlines and other stories that he wrote along the way because he did write some short stories and stuff as well as being able to incorporate elements of the movies. Uh, This has become this wonderful posthumous collaboration which (laughs) entirely makes sense in the Living Dead concept, really, when you think about it. So there, I've got that out of the way. Daniel Krauss, we know of as an American author, worked with Guillermo del Toro, amongst other people. And so he has got uh, films like Troll Hunters and The Shape of Water and, of course, uh, now this. So, you know, other books that he's done on his own, uh, The Monster Variations, Rotters. So, you know, he's a guy who knows what he's doing when it comes to that sort of genre. Mm, mm, mm. So he comes from Chicago and, of course, uh, Romero is famously Pittsburghian, if that's the right word, <laughs> yeah. uh, but then moved to Toronto. Mm. So, you know, had these two sort of iconic locations, Pittsburgh heavily featured in the Living Dead franchise. But Toronto equally serves a purpose within his life and was equally beloved by the filmmaker and author. Now, Toronto serves as a framing location or as a a target that people are trying. You know, that typical thing, we're all trying to get to somewhere. 
And that is kind of the goal. There's a, a rumoured haven from the zombie apocalypse in The Living Dead in Canada, of course. And that's sort of a, a goal for everybody. It's a bit like The Last of Us, really, There's or uh, Z Nation, which also has destinations. Mm-hmm. In so you got that in there. And it is a, a vignette kind of book. Mm-hmm. You've got multiple characters who you know will kind of pull together or, or be united. This is very much like um, The Walking Dead. Yeah. There's that kind of thing going on there too. Oh, so it's a fiction it book. I thought it was a yeah. compendium of some kind because it was so large. No. I was like, oh, it's a history of whatever. No. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it is a kind of a history of the Romero zombie franchise in that it does have touchstones sure. throughout yeah, yeah. the novel. And it's reboots to day one of the zombie apocalypse. Yep. So, you know, early on, so one of the characters or two of the characters are uh, medical examiners, forensic pathologists, mm-hmm. and they're hooked into a nationwide reporting system yep. where if you get a, a death, you have to report it. And this is a kind of like the CDC, but not quite. It's, it's basically just a data gathering thing and they can advise the CD, CDC. And this place, they're in a morgue and, you know, things happen mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you can get that Good initial things? sort of <laughs> no <laughs> no no uh, by, the, by the time the uh, assistant has drop kicked the newly risen patient's heart oof, oof. <laughs> across the floor accidentally after the the terrible resurrection you know, you know, it's you're not in for a great no. time in terms of that kind of thing. But there's a, a really good spread of, of characters in this. I mean, not only the medical examiner and the assistant, um, also a young African American woman from a trailer park. You know, there's a, a large spread of characters across this, which I really appreciated. Mm. A television anchor mm. who's known as the Face, oh. who's he's aging and he's had a lot of work done, mm-hmm. but he's still the go-to person, but he hasn't been exactly bleeding edge Mm. in terms of news reportage, and he's become quite cynical and, you know, that kind of, he's there, he's a bit vanilla, but everybody likes him. Yeah, sure, inoffensive and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, he comes into his own in this story. Oh. So, you know, and it feels very much like a Stephen King tone to some of this too. Yeah. That sort of where you get to know the characters and then there are strange variations rung upon And there's a journey and they band together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's that kind of feeling to this. You know, I mean, I wouldn't be – I'm not too far away from The Stand really when I'm (laughs) thinking about this or maybe – what's that other one? Uh, Cell, is that it? As in cell phone? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that was the other one. There's a a sequence set aboard a a US aircraft carrier, a nuclear-powered – vessel and that's quite interesting too because they bring it and this is why i was thinking of the stand ah yes they bring in a um, a fanatical religious element ah okay interesting quite a nasty one right uh, time to needle drop some relevant music with a track that's actually called george romero it's a little tribute to a larger than life creator of creatures and it's by the sprites from their 2006 modern gameplay album This is Ashley C. Williams. I play Lindsay in The Human Centipede and the title character in Julia. You're listening to Zero G on 3 R. An eponymous tribute to Maestro George Romero by the uber-geeky Sprites. Uber-geeky being a term of respect on Zero G, of course, from their 
2006 modern gameplay album, George Romero. The fountainhead of the modern zombie genre, director and writer of six of the Living Dead movies, with a seventh being produced by his estate. Megan and Rob chatting about the massive 2020 Penguin paperback by George Romero and Daniel Krauss, which is simply titled The Living Dead. This is George Romero, and I wouldn't be caught dead listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. I felt that this book had it all. Oh, do you think it warrants the length? Yes. Okay. Well, that's good to know. It, uh, ironically, it needs space to breathe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was important for it. And to meditate more upon the nature of this thing. Yeah. Because, of course, it's not just a zombie apocalypse. And, you know, if I was reading and watching so many mm. <laughs> of these books and uh, television shows and movies, I would have gotten bored by now. But, mm. you know, the procedural, apart from that being important, of course, what it reveals about human interactions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that is so critical. Yeah. And also the commentary upon contemporary culture, which was Romero's signature in his movies and stories, mm. that's very much done here. This book, I'm glad that Daniel Krauss was the one. I mean, there are other writers who could have handled yeah. it, but this guy seems to have gotten Romero's concept. It. Yeah. And ghastly as it sounds, seems to have lived it mm-hmm. in real time. <laughs> so it was in good hands. So actually, this is a, a major book if you're a, a zombie fan. And they actually do use the word zombie in it. It does eventually get used in the film franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's so many different <laughs> words that you could use. Yeah. And The Walking Dead has used them all. I highly recommend this book to fans of the series. Look, there are some things in it that perhaps don't land quite as well as they might have. Mm. And the problem, of of course, is many things you'll have read and seen in other books. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like by the time they did a John Carter movie of uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs' character, Mm. you know, John Carter of Mars, it felt derivative because there'd been generations Mm. of science fiction properties that had done that rift off of yeah. that. Yeah. This doesn't quite feel that derivative because Krauss has brought it up to date. Yeah. So okay. there's that. It is a, a modern zombie novel. Look, I think it's as important a, a book in the in that weird subgenre <laughs> as uh, Max Brooks' World War Z oh, yeah. okay. in many respects. Yep. Longer though. I could see them picking this up as a series, a television series. Yeah. I don't actually think there's the motivation for that at the moment because The Walking Dead yeah. spin-offs has colonised that. I think people are getting fatigued with zombie content, to be honest. Yeah. There's a lot. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. If that's the case, then this is the last yes. shamble, last the last zombie. Final stand, yes. Mm. So I think we will play a track when we go out, which will be not riff off of that, but riff off the fact that today's episode title is 1450. Yes. And in that year, (laughs) he says, in that year there was a zombie apocalypse. (laughs) But it's actually tied in with the great, uh, I will call him surreal artist, Mm -hmm. the Dutch painter Hieronymus Bosch. Oh, Bosch. Bosch, yes, and uh, I botched his name there, but 1450, more or less associated with his birth. Mm, so mm, mm. 
we're going to go with that. And in a way, it does also tie in with the whole zombie theme too. So when I do go out today, it will be the Garden of Unearthly Delights <laughs> by an artist called Zero Theory from their album Arrival. And, uh, you know, not a, not a hugely long track, but, you know, about six minutes. So that's, <laughs> that's nothing. <laughs> what we'll close out today with Zero G. So, yeah, The Living Dead is by George O. Romero and Daniel Krauss. It is a penguin paperback. So that's about it for Zero G for today. Yeah, we need to get some a lot of grim content lately, I feel, or at least I suppose just since I've been back. I wonder if there's some some more light-hearted <laughs> content for us well, in our future. About, well, we did um, the, the animated movie last that's week. That's true. Nimona. That was quite That was a great – yes, good point. I think I've um, just got recency effect going on. But, I mean, yeah, for every Barbie there is an Oppenheimer, so we need to <laughs> balance it all out <laughs> Which- like a nice palette. Which one is the darker of those two? Actually? Well, it's Who yet to it? be seen. It is yet to be seen, isn't it? Very excited for those. But Well, there's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. That is true. Harrison Ford's foray, and he seems to be having a lot of fun, actually. He doesn't always like stepping into his old shoes, but I think Indiana Jones is a character that he enjoys playing, and he's been less grumpy in his interviews. <laughs> I would also like to point out that they're making a – a British uh, historical fiction television series based on Bernard Cornwall's The Warlord Chronicles. Oh. And that is a King Arthur. Interesting. And, you know, so that is uh, very interesting because, of course, his historical fiction has been made into several great television Mm. series, a Viking one and the Richard Sharp ones, you know. So, And it's got um, E&D Kastecka playing King Arthur, and he was – one of the uh, the tech geeks in uh, Agents of Shield. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, I mean, this is v- an ambitious television series, and maybe it will take the curse <laughs> of Arthurian productions on the big and small screen. Oh, we don't not know though. Not that there aren't a huge lot of great ones for that. So that's about it for Zero G today. We'll go out with the Garden of Unearthly Delights by Zero Theory and Arrival, and Joe Benedict coming up next with Astral Glamour. Thank you, Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.